Come with us on a journey into the unknown, the unexplained, and the unbelievable. We will test your senses and challenge your beliefs. A world where science and religion clash. Or do they? You will meet real people and hear real stories, but you will not believe. You will witness strange sights and hear strange sounds, but you will not believe. This is the New England Ghost Project. Welcome to the Nightmare. Good evening, everyone. Good morning, good afternoon, good day, everyone. Welcome, no matter where you are. Welcome to Ghost Chronicles Next Generation. I am Ron Kolick, and you are not New England's own Van Helsink. And with me tonight is uh, my special guest. He is a uh, I don't know, legendist. Would you call yourself a legendist? I like that yeah, term. I haven't heard that one before, but I like it. Legendist. I think I just made it up. Legendist nice. and tour guide, uh, Robert Oates. Oh. Hi. Nice, nice. Yes, Robert Oates. Nice to talk to you again. Yeah. And uh, so are uh, you busy at all this year? You know, <laughs> I mean, this time. a little bit. A little bit, yeah. It's, uh, as, you, as you can imagine, it's a busy time of year for those of us who do what I do. Um, and I have now three books uh, in two different locations, so I'm sort of covering lore from, and, and experiences uh, from different from different areas. Really? So yeah. So, go ahead. Yeah. No, it's all right. So let's go into a little bit about your. Uh... You know exactly who you are and, and what you've been up to and what you're writing and, and so forth. Sure. Um, well, I, uh, you know, I, I am a I lead ghost tours in the Berkshires, which is in Western Massachusetts, yeah. and I've been doing that for some time now. I've been at the Mount in Lenox, Mass, the home of Edith Wharton, leading ghost tours there since 2010, and more recently, I've started doing ghost tours at another Gilded Age estate in Lenox, Mass, called uh, Benford Hall. And mm-hmm. I've been doing that since 2021. And then I'll do some readings um, and different kinds of, occasionally I'll do uh, other kinds of tours, but uh, a lot of readings I've been doing this year um, in the Berkshires and other places. And then, um, so I, I put out a book in 2020 on the ghosts of the Berkshires. Um, and then that was followed up uh, two years later by a book, similar book about Northwestern New Jersey, um, called Ghosts of yep. Northwestern New Jersey. And then just this year, a brand new book out, um, which is based on the Berkshire book. It's called The Ghostly Tales of the Berkshires. And this one is written uh, specifically for young readers, so ages 8 to 12. Oh, so, excellent. Yeah. So that's the latest. And that one's really special. My wife did the illustrations. And... Uh, I've written, rewritten the stories. I've taken, I've sort of selected some of the locations and the stories from Ghosts of the Berkshires and retold them specifically with young readers in mind. And you can, uh, you can see, uh, you know, learn more about uh, Robert if you go to his website, which I believe is Robert Oaks, and that's O-A-K-E-S dot net. Yes. Is that correct? Yep. That is, yes. And, and so, I mean, how hard was it to write uh, the new book for, for children? Because I, I know that, like, some I just did a presentation on Friday, and I was had to take my presentation, and I got, like, all freaky about it because, you know, there were going to be kids there. And I was like, oh, what can I say and do that I can't, 
normally see in June. So it, it was sure. difficult. It must have been difficult for you, too. You know, it's interesting because you do have to think about what what is too much for children, right? Mm-hmm. Or what maybe it wouldn't speak to them. Um, and so that is definitely a consideration. Like, So I had to go through and choose which of the stories I would tell, which I thought translated well to a story for young, for young readers. And even in the ones that I did choose, like, for example, I'll take the Hussic Tunnel story. That one is so full of real tragedy and horror, people dying in the most horrific ways mm. um, that, you know, I don't want to hit it too hard with children. I don't want that to be troubling or disturbing. So you have to kind of think of a way of telling the story that kind of softens the blow a little bit, but at the same time kind of respects the original story. Um, so that can be a little bit of a challenge, but honestly, I love it. I, I really loved sort of really? putting myself in. Yeah, I really did. I, I loved putting myself into the mindset of a storyteller with a group of children and sort of, you know, what would I, if I were in front of a group of children right now, like how would I do this? How would I tell the story? Um, and as it turned out, I had the opportunity to do that very thing. It, this is a really interesting bit of like synchronicity that happens here because um, last, so I've, I, I work at a junior boarding school in Northeastern Connecticut. And um, as it happened, uh, right around this time last year, maybe a little sooner, like around September, the third grade teacher wrote to me um, on behalf of one of the students in her class saying, I have this student in class who's really into ghosts. And would you come and talk to our class about ghosts, about your book about ghosts, about writing stories, you know, all of that. And so I said, I said, this is great. I, I love this. I'm going to take one of the stories from the Berkshires and I'm going to rewrite it so that I can go down there and read it to them, um, you know, so that I'd have something to share. So I did all of that. And at the, about the same time, the publisher reached out to me and said, we're interested in doing a young reader's version of the Berkshire. Oh, wow. And I was like, yeah, I was like, huh, that's interesting timing. And so what ended up happening was, um, of course, I, 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 you know, happily agreed to it and said, like, I, w- I would like to write that book. And um, as I was working on it, occasionally I would go down to the third grade and sort of share one of the stories with him. Say, you know, here's one. Here's a new one. You guys want to hear it? You know, and then they would they were really eager to hear it, which was awesome. And then they would kind of give me their feedback. And, you know, they became part of the process. And so I like did not have to imagine reading this to a young audience because I had one right there. And I, I, I know it just, I, I, I find it so intriguing that you're able to do that. You know, they just take a, uh, a, a ghost story or, you know, especially like, you know, the, the who's a tannic tunnel, uh, as I always call it. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Cause I can never, cause I can never say that word. Uh, which right. is why I, I never read to anyone. Uh, I have, you know, the several times I've invited to, uh, uh, different author nights and to read passages from my book, I say, I'm sorry, but I don't read. You can, uh, I would be happy to talk to you, but I am not going to read. In fact, when my yeah. son was growing him up, my wife would never allow me to read to him because uh, my brain just goes uh, too, too fast. I uh-huh. chuckle over everything, yeah. mumble everything. Out. Anyway, so I, I, I am really 
uh, impressed with that. But, you know, I, my co-author, uh, Maureen Wood, who wrote uh, Ghost Chronicles, more Ghost Chronicles and Ghosts Day with me, she wrote a, a young kid's book, too, about ghost hunting with, with someone yeah. else. And I, I, I just, to be able to tell a story and to be able to do it without too much of the uh the cutting edge i guess um yeah is difficult i mean did your wife i mean did your wife read the stories after you wrote them i did have some readers some adult readers too okay uh, that i shared it with yeah my wife there was actually the librarian here at the school i asked Mm -hmm. her if she'd give it a look um Mm -hmm. you know there were a few other people that i uh, whose opinions i uh i wanted to get Um, and then of course it went through a few people at the publisher as well Right. Um, so, yeah, I definitely, you know, bounced it off different people, you know, because it's not always easy to tell where that line is. I mean, obviously, it's a ghost book, so there's that there's going to be a little bit of that fear factor um, for all of us. Right. When we read about these things. And, and the thing is that I find that children like are no different. They are. I mean, there's some of these kids, I got to tell you, they're like <laughs> they're pretty hip to this stuff. And they're ready to go on this journey. Um, they're pretty interested oh, wow. in it. Yeah. Did uh, you, did you, when you, when you, after you had written the book or we were in the process of writing and you had people uh, proofreading it or, or uh, reading it over, did they ever call something to your attention where you looked at it and said, oh, I never thought of it that way, where, you know, it looked like something that wasn't offensive and maybe was a little bit. Not offensive. There was one. There's one story in the Berkshires that involves a double suicide. You know, these two characters are said to have committed suicide. It's a very, it's a, it's you know, kind of in a Romeo and Juliet sort of way where they they love each other so much that they they die together, kind of thing. And um, you know, I think there was a question about whether that was too much, appropriate. you know. But um, so. You know, but again, I think it's, it's a lot of it is in how you tell the story and um, and 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 what you choose to focus on. So, for me, especially with with kids, I think, but it's this way with adults too. It's the same thing. Like when I do the ghost tour, I think what I'm primarily interested in is is mystery and and wonder, you know, and just trying to open us up to being, you know, to having an experience of something that is just sort of beyond the known, you know, and, and, and just kind of attuning ourselves a little bit to that. And I find that kids are ready to go there, you know, very often. They're, just, they're already there, really. Um, and so it's just, it's just kind of sort of bringing that element into it. It's just, what if, you know, what's, what's beyond, beyond our flashlight kind of feeling? I mean, no, I, 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 ha- I had the same problems when I had to do a lecture at a, like a senior citizen place because then yeah. you're looking at it again that you have al- older people that you know, a lot of them are quite elderly that were brought up in different time and different era and, you sure. know, you did not. Yeah. So it's it's an intriguing little uh, tight walk, uh, tight yeah. the walk. Yeah. yeah, it is. And. You know, I try to, uh, I try to be, um, like, there's so many different ways to experience this. For some people, it is just something amusing. For some people, it's very serious, and there's a lot of depth to it. And, uh, 
for some people it's a fearful thing for some people it's a it, it can be a comforting thing if they feel um maybe they feel the presence of someone they've lost and, or maybe it can be a curiosity thing because they're wondering about life after death and there's so many different ways of approaching the subject and oh yeah, yeah. you know so which can be hard to you, know which one to hit like which tone to hit yeah yeah I mean, that's absolutely right now when you uh write these uh books are they uh the child book especially is in a narrative is it type of a narrative book where it's more of a story than uh a uh, an experience yeah so um with the first berkshire book I decided early on in the process, like I actually experimented with a couple of different narrative voices, and one of mm -hmm. them was going to be this kind of documentarian who then went into, you know, kind of like a recreate, like a, it's like let's let's have a story in within the documentarian oh, voice. Wow. So yeah. We're going to cut to storytelling, right, and then back to the documentarian voice. That was. I think I tried one story like that and made the decision early on that I would go all in on the documentarian voice for Ghost of Berkshire so that it would be really just sort of documenting and reporting on the experiences without a lot of like storytelling. Um, but with the, the ghostly tales, for the ones for the young readers, I decided to give myself, like go in the opposite, complete opposite direction and give myself full freedom to be a storyteller um, and tell it like a story with some, you know, with the historical facts and different things kind of peppered in there to make it historical, but I was primarily thinking I'm a storyteller now. I get it, yeah. Which is good, because it, tr it translates to, uh, you know, if you have to do a, in front of a, a class of, or whatever, a, uh, a group of children. Yeah, it translates yeah. very easily into it, yes. So. And the thing well, about but, is, about all, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that in my feeling is, I mean, I think I actually think of myself primarily as a storyteller. And to me, all of these experiences, even the ones that are just like, I felt this, I saw this, they're stories. You know, they, they have at their heart a story that somebody is telling about an experience that they had or something that they heard um, or felt or sensed. And, um, sure. you know, I think it's a, you can tell it, Straight up, this, this is the, just a facts kind of approach, or you can tell it like a story. You know, it still has the facts at the heart of it, but it uh, can be um, sort of peppered with uh, with something that speaks to the imagination. Do you have a favorite story in the ghostly tales of the Berkshire? Is there one that you you did and it's like, wow, that was that was really good. That well, the one that keeps coming. There's a couple that I really enjoy, like. I've been reading the one of the Ghost of Green River to the kids a lot. And part of the reason why I like that is because um, my wife was kind enough to do a whole series of drawings that go with that. So I can read it. It's not just the one drawing she did for the book, but she did a whole series of them. So I can kind of read oh, it wow. as an animated, almost, well, not quite animated, but, you know, as an illustrated story. Um, and I actually have a video of this up on my YouTube channel where I read the story and you see all the images. Um that like he did so i really enjoyed doing that one because it's more of a sort of uh you know uh multimedia experience um so that one is a favorite i also as far as the stories go like i really enjoy the one i did on um 
I did one on Tanglewood. Oh. Um, yeah, and part of the reason why I like story Tanglewood. Oh yeah, so Tanglewood has these great stories about, of course, you you know Tanglewood being the the music festival in the Berkshires, um, mm-hmm. well known sort of summer home of the Boston Symphony, awesome. and there's people like uh, Leonard Bernstein and James Taylor and uh, John Williams who've been associated with it. But yes, there are uh, lots of ghost stories about it, and um, the other interesting connection with Tanglewood is is the Hawthorne connection. Nathaniel Hawthorne, the author. Um, lived there uh, on the grounds in the 19th century for about a year and a half. And he's actually the one who named Tanglewood, Tanglewood. And he um, wrote, he wrote two books of Greek myths retold for young readers called The oh, Wonder wow. Book and then Tanglewood Tales. And in it, he, he came up with this whole trope of like a, um, you know, a storyteller that he named Eustace Bright, who's telling these stories to children. And they sit on the back porch of the Tanglewood house, uh, the manor house that's there. And he tells them these stories. And that was how he imagined himself telling these stories to children, right? Um, Through this storyteller character. So when I wrote my Tanglewood story, I kind of borrowed a little bit from that. I I, I have this storyteller on the back porch who's telling a group of kids that ghost you know, ghost stories about about the about the house. And so I kind of like I like, you know, that it kind of like brings in a little bit of Hawthorne there, um, without being, you know, totally <laughs> the Hawthorne mm-hmm. bit. Yeah, that's that's a cool thing. I, I, I didn't know I was never aware that he wrote uh children's books actually. But, he wrote uh, a couple, at least, yeah. These, and he wrote one of them in the Berkshires, um, Tanglewood Tales, I think it was, or the Hawthorne. I'm not sure if it was the Wonder Book or Tanglewood Tales. Can you share one of the Tanglewood stories? I'm uh, curious, and not necessarily the the one, you know, whatever the the tales, I should say. From the from the ghostly tales, or from the um, from the ghosts of the Berkshires, the adult. Either one. E- either one, whatever you feel like discussing. Well, I could, yeah, which I could read an excerpt from the from the ghosts of the Berkshires. Would that, okay. that would be good? Yeah. Yeah, I really enjoyed this one. They, um, you know, I went there and I said, hey, can you tell me about your ghost? I did that a lot with working on this book. And uh, the people there were really awesome. They uh, sort of took me in and showed me around and told me some of their stories. And um, the Tanglewood property has a really interesting history because not only was it this music festival, but it was also connected to the transcendentalist movement that was Started out, aren't you, you're by the you're by Boston, right? By um, towards New Hampshire border. Okay, but out in that way by Concord, you had these group of writers. Yeah, and you know, yeah. No so they 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 made their way out. Uh, some of them, anyway, were out in the Berkshires as well. So there's that connection to, and the house is quite old. It's on the property, um, and it was considered to be one of the first Berkshire cottages, um, and. Um, meaning these sort of Gilded Age houses that were being built by very wealthy people in the Berkshires in the 19th and early 20th century. But the one that's said to be haunted is called Highwood Manor. And um, there's a lot of stories about it, and some of them include some of these famous musical figures. Um, I'll read it a little bit here. Bernstein, Leonard Bernstein himself, was said to have encountered the Highwood ghost on the infamous second floor between 1986 and his death 
1990, the celebrated composer and conductor used one of those rooms as an office. It was there in 1990, just two months before he died, that he reportedly leapt from his seat, threw up his hands toward the ceiling, and shouted, What is it that's there? Who is it that's there? BSO volunteer Barbara Greenbaum said Lenny really believed in ghosts. He really did. She went on to describe a kind of musical seance that Bernstein arranged shortly after this eerie encounter. Greenbaum explains Bernstein and composer Andre Previn, around the time of Bernstein's death, came up to the top floor of Highwood Manor at midnight to play Ina Kleine Nacht music by Mozart to try to summon the ghost. No spirit wow. appeared to the men that night, Greenbaum said, but people love the story. It's just fun to think that these two giants of music loved it and believed it so much that they snuck in here at night to try to make contact. Composer John Williams, who recently composed a piece titled Highwood's Ghost to celebrate this encounter, also affirmed Bernstein's belief. I well remember one night, he wrote, as Lenny was making his way up the first stairwell, exclaiming, this place is haunted. It may be expected that Lenny, genius that he was, might have had a special affinity, ability rather, to receive transmission from the sphere of spirits and signs. Indeed, the Highwood Ghost encounter was not the first transmission Bernstein was said to have experienced at Tanglewood. Former assistant Charlie Harmon, in his memoir On the Road and Off the Record with Leonard Bernstein, wrote that the famed musician was noticeably upset after conducting a performance of Beethoven's Symphony No. 3. He said to me, Harmon wrote, in the second movement, a funeral march, I saw somebody walking across the back of the stage. I wondered why anybody would be back there. Who was it, I asked. Kusi, LB said his face suddenly drawn, the lines going deep. I stopped what I was doing. Dr. Kusevitsky, founder of Tanglewood, died in 1951. I'm certain of it. It was Kusevitsky, Elby said. Interestingly, Harmon went on to write that on this particular night, there was an astrological convergence, a once-in-a-million-years alignment of stars and planets, which inspired Bernstein and others to stay up late to absorb this exceptional energy, which was predicted to peak at 4 a.m. Is it possible that on this night of cosmic alignment, that particular piece of music performed in that rarefied location, conducted by a man said to be especially attuned to the sphere of spirits and signs, may have revealed a momentary glimpse of the other world in the form of Kuzi's ghost? Was this what led Bernstein and Previn to venture up to the top floor of Highwood at night some years later to try to summon up the spirit with song? If so, why did it not seem to work that night? Could it have been that they chose the wrong piece? BSO volunteer Gabe Kozakov seemed to think so. He commented, they should have played Beethoven Opus 70 Number 1, the Ghost Trio. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's an excellent story. So that's what the book is it's all like personal accounts of from different people. That's the Berks, the Ghost of the Berkshires, uh, the first one that I did, and yeah, a lot of it was well, it's a combination. So some of it is you know stuff that you, is just available out there that you can find uh, that has mm -hmm. been written about 
these places. Some of it, it's a bit of history about the locations, but whenever possible, I would go to the places and see if anyone would talk to me and share their their stories. It's always great to get personal, you know, firsthand accounts if you can. Oh yeah, I mean that's excellent. I mean, so many books are out there. I mean, let's face it, there are a million ghost books out there. The ghosts of this, the ghosts of that. And and most of them are just simple narratives saying, well, yeah, this house is haunted by, you know, a sea captain who's, uh, whatever, you know. But right. you have actual, you know, eyewitness testimony, basically. Yeah, uh, I, I try I think to. That's amazing. I think that's amazing. And it, it's that was an excellent job. And that's in your book, Ghosts Thank of the you. Berkshires. Yep. Thanks. Excellent I appreciate stuff. that. There was one situation, there's a place called the Knox Trail Inn in Otis, and um, it's an old historic inn that's been there since the early 19th century. You can find some things about it online, and I did, but I felt kind of frustrated because I said, you know, there's more to this story. Like, there's got to be, you know, so I just went there one day, and it's a bar, and I walked in, and I just said, can anyone here tell me about your ghost, you know? And as this happens, the family that used to own the inn were there having a family reunion. Oh, so wow. these are people that, that, yeah, they lived in the place between the late 70s and the mid-80s. Well, unfortunately, and, we can talk about that when we come back because we have to take a break right. right now. Very good. So Thanks. you're listening to uh, Ghost Chronicles uh, right here on TojiNet, uh, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, 286 Merrimack Street, Bethuen, Massachusetts, the Glant Messier Family Law Group, 15 High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and uh, very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon, where you too can become a member for a mere three bucks a month, get access to over 50 exclusive videos. And our special guest today is Legendist. Robin Oaks. And we'll be right back after the following message right here on Toji Net Radio. Do you have a paranormal event, book, or something else you want people to know about? Then why not advertise it on Ghost Chronicles Radio? With over 150,000 downloads a month, get your message out to an audience that's interested in the subject. We have a plan at a cost that fits your needs. For more information, contact Ron Kolick at anyghostproject at comcast.net or call 978-455-6678. Located in Illinois, there lies a sleepy little town where nothing is a common occurrence. You going to that party in town tonight? Heck yeah! I only turned 18 once. That is until the night of celebration. Where the hell is she? Oh no. No, 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 Jessica! What's happening? 
monsters of Shadowhunters fighting me comes a tale of primal terror. Grind called Mayhem. Shadowhunters, kill Jessica! Kill! <laughs> Harry Price, I am speaking to you via the medium of the Ghost Box. Many of you will know I carried out the first live radio broadcast from Haunted House way back in 1936 for the BBC. Now, thanks to the wonders of modern technology, I am still able to keep abreast of 21st century ghost hunting by listening to Ghost Chronicles International on Togginet, Para-X Radio, The Ghost Channel, and even on something called a podcast. Two splendid chaps host it. One is an American who calls himself New England's own Van Helsing, although I have discovered his real name is Ron Kolek. The other is Stephen Parsons, and he's a paranormal scientist. Well, mustache, I'm required elsewhere on something called a K2. But don't forget, I'll be listening in every Tuesday from 8 o'clock in Great Britain and 3 o'clock on the American Eastern Seaboard. I trust you will join me there. And that is the theme to Van Helsink, and I am New England's Van Helsink, Ron Kolek, and you're listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on Tojinet. And my special guest is legendist Robert Oaks. And just before the breaks, you like that, huh? I like it. It almost sounds like legend. <laughs> and when we come back, uh, just before the break, he was telling us about a tavern he was checking out, and he walked in just as it happens to be the farmer owner's reunion. So you want, you, that's where you left off. Yeah, so they, um, they were so happy to sit down with me and share these stories. You know, it was part of, it became part of their family reunion. And so I had this really amazing opportunity to just sit with these folks that knew this place firsthand, that lived there and had many uh, ghost experiences there. And they took me upstairs in rooms that were no longer open to the public, and they showed me different places where things had happened. See, their mother was not there, but they gave me her phone number and said I could call her. So I ended up calling her and got more more of the story from her. Um, it was a really special thing, and I felt really grateful to be able to, you know, kind of connect with this family over these stories. Yeah, I, you know, something like that happens. You just wonder if it wasn't supposed to happen. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I feel like that kind of thing happens, you know, when when you're on this path of looking for these stories or, you know, seeking out these places, I often have that feeling of being kind of guided a little bit to to the next thing that, you know, I'm supposed to find. Yeah, could very well be. So, uh, like I said, I was on your website, uh, Robert Oaks, and that's O-A-K-E-S dot net. And it's a good website. It's got your books. It's got a lot of stuff on it. But 
there was one thing I never knew about you, and that is music. You had Oaks, Oaks and Smith. Yes, I am. A, I've been a singer-songwriter for a good part of my life, and um, really, my yeah, and my wife and I um, have had a uh, singing and you know music duo together for some time. Um, we, we go by Oaks and Smith. Um, and yeah, we've got some recordings out there and different things that we've done. Oh, that that is so funny. You want, you want to know what's weird is that I thought it was your your wife for some reason, and then I looked and I said, oh, but, but I guess maybe it's not. Uh, but yeah, it was. Oh, because of the name Smith. Yeah, I just well, I mean, it's just uh, you know out of the blue, it's different than your name, so it's like a little, little different. And I, I you know, I. I just for some reason knew it was your wife. That's <laughs> so bizarre. Talk about weird things. Yeah. So you've been writing songs, and and what type of music is it? Um, I think folk is a pretty good sort of general category to put it in. Okay, and and you can actually uh, see some of this on your website. At uh, if you you go under the music section, you can. Uh, Go to the Oaks and Smith store where you have yep. EPs. What's an EP? I should know that. Send and play is a short album. Oh, a short album. Okay. Yeah, I, I know it, but I just couldn't remember. Uh, so that's kind of cool. So you're back in your yeah, old hippie days. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Robert, Robert. Robert, you're. You're breaking up on us for some reason. Oh no! Can you hear me oh now? yeah, yeah, but it's very, yeah, yeah. it's very distorted. Um, I can't. I can only hear what I'm hearing, so I can't tell if you're coming through there or is it just coming through towards me that way. But anyways, hopefully we'll carry on and we'll be fine. Um, okay. Unless uh, the producer Roy wants to call you back, and you can just reconnect. But anyway, I, I tell you, this show is is so bizarre with the uh, the paranormal. Uh, we had a guest on, I think it was two weeks ago last week, and her she was from uh, Denver, and her call just kept dropping. Boom! <laughs> so she'd be into this big narrative that'll be dropped. Uh, so, okay, I understand you're working on it. All right, that's great. Um, so, I mean, it's, I, I saw that you went to uh, oh, school, some school, right? God, I just lost it. <laughs> uh, but you study music, right? Actually, no. I, uh, I mean, I'm, oh, I'm sort of self-taught. I didn't go to school for music. I went to school for, for English. I'm right. Oh. I yeah. just read the which is so music has kind of just been a family business really, so I kind of picked it up just from being around it all the time. Yeah, I'm, I, so do you enjoy playing with your wife? Oh my god, I I love it so much. She has an incredible voice. She's, she's got a beautiful singing voice, and I I I sing, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. but I think that for me, you know, it's actually kind of similar to what you were saying before about performance versus like writing and when it comes to music i think well, like certain situations i'm I'm good with being out there and i love 
performing. But a lot of times I'm more comfortable in that kind of writing or studio kind of role, like working in the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I met Kate, I was kind of in that place where I was just sort of a studio rat, really more than a performer. And but when Kate came along and beautiful voice and we started to sing together in harmony and I just, and I could see that people were really enjoying this. I said, I, I want to do this. I want to get out there and, and, and perform this. So that was really um, wonderful to, to have like to be able to go out with Kate and, and perform that way. Cause I do love to perform. I love getting out in front of people. There's really something very special about the energy connection that you can feel with people in that way. Um, but I, I'm very sensitive to the circumstances. So if it's like not right, and if it doesn't feel right, or it's not sounding right, it can, it can be really rough for me. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's uh, it, it's you get that feeling from the crowd. I mean, there are, you can read Absolutely. the crowd sometimes, and I, I agree with you 100. percent You know, that we're uh, working in front of a live audience is is so much better. Uh, when the pandemic hit, we had to switch over to Zoom for everything. It yeah. was. It was just not the same. We could reach more people, of course, because they could be all over the world. But, sure. you know, it just you just didn't have that energy that was there with the crowd. Uh, yep. And I think that's that's so important, I think, in what we do. At least, yeah, I think yeah. both are right. Both I agree. Right and I, I think, you know, the same is true for the ghost tour. I was thinking about this recently, about how the energy that gets created among a group of people when they go on one of these tours and when when it's kind of all in, when everybody is there for the experience and is really kind of present to it, it gets electric. I mean, there's just a feeling and a spark. And I personally believe that the spirits are like, I want to be near that. You know, they, they kind of get drawn to it. Uh, people are bringing a, a really, you know, a, an energy that, that is, is attractive. Yeah, I mean, the early spiritualists, I mean, when they did their uh, seance and stuff, they would play loud music. They would, you know, it, yeah. it was not, not uncommon to laugh or sing songs because sure. it, it's to create that energy to, you know, I, I don't know whether it attract spirits or, or raise your vibration, depending on how you, you read at it. But it, it does make a yeah. difference. I mean, uh, we have been... Uh, studying the red light seance for uh 13 years now i believe and uh every month we meet in circle and uh it's it's so weird because a lot of times when you you're there and you're laughing or something and, and all of a sudden the activity picks up much more i mean it just it just you know it just they seem to feed off it uh it's it's amazing Yes, absolutely. And so I always try to remind people when we start a ghost tour, you know, I, I say that this isn't really about so much about you, like listening to me like an audience, like uh, like I'm just here to perform and you're going to listen. This is, I mean, I am going to share stories, but a lot of it, a lot of what you get out of this experience is what you bring to it. It's just the presence that you bring to it and just sort of the way that you kind of went up to this experience. And that has a way of, of I think, bringing things into you know toward us mm-hmm. so do you really enjoy the uh the tours that you do i love it i've mm-hmm. been doing them for over 10 years now and um i never knew that this was going to be a, such a big part of my life uh, i didn't really like it seemed to have kind of find me you know i wasn't really looking for this 
Um, and I really have enjoyed doing it so much because, I mean, for one thing, no two tours are alike. Um, everything, everyone is unique, even though some of the stories may be the same. I mean, I don't really script the tour, so I, I know basically different stories that I'll share. Sometimes I choose different ones, you know. Um, mm-hmm. But it's really, it's, it's pretty improvisational, and the group is always different. And the night is different, and the energy in the house is different. So you're never quite sure exactly what's going to happen. Um, and I love that feeling of, like, it's, it's right now, something is going to happen or not. Um, but you can't really predict that. Uh, and the places are awesome. I just love these, these estates that I've been doing towards that. They're very special places. Yeah, I know you were doing a Bedford Hall, which, uh, you know, is an amazing place. I've been there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, done. Done. I used to do it. I did a couple of events there, and uh, oh, and I always mentioned that. Uh, of course, I shot the the opening uh, for the show, uh, Coast Chronicles Next Generation. Ann and I did video production, and we did uh, the Benford Hall edition, and it was the opening par- paralleled uh, Downton Abbey. So the people there helped us out with that and everything. It was, oh, awesome. it was perfect. So we took nice. little scenes from their opening and, and reproduced it and it was it was a lot of fun and uh it's yeah. an amazing place absolutely amazing place it is it is yeah and, and i think that's a big part of the experience is just taking in the place mm-hmm. and you you have places like you know benford hall which is i i find it an elegant place and in, in that it's you know a mansion then you have like the houghton mansion or houghton mansion uh it, it's a totally different feeling. It's a house and it's got the history, but it doesn't have that same feel as as Benford Hall. Benford Hall, like I said, it being an elegant place, it seems have to exude a certain type of energy versus uh, the Houghton Mansion, which was a, a totally different type of energy. Yeah, I have to say the energy, the feeling I have for for Houghton Mansion is sadness because. When I was working on the book, they had they were no longer open for ghost tours or anything related to paranormal. So I couldn't go there. I could just stand outside and look sadly at it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I know amazing. I've heard. Yeah, but I have yeah. heard. I mean, you know, it of course as there's so many stories about that place, and such a history yeah, there. We were actually did the first investigation there that was ever done, the paranormal investigation. Oh wow. For for the Masons. Uh, right. Oh, that was your yeah. group. Yeah, we were the first ones in there. And oh. I noticed over the years, you know, we did a lot of events there. I used to hold uh, conventions there or paracons or whatever you want to call them. Uh, yeah. years, now, you were talking, oh, God, probably 20 years ago or something like that. Some long time ago, let's put that way. And uh, yeah, and uh, the fact, Berkshire Paranormal uh, formed. <laughs> After they met us, uh, Josh Rantello and his father and the rest of the group. They, okay. Yeah. We, oh, okay, they, I didn't realize that was the connection there. Okay. Yeah, yeah, the Masons uh, were the one to call us in. The, the book, the mansion, there was an author from New York, uh, Sherry Rivella, Rivera or something like that, was writing a book on ghost stories, and they wanted to put the Houghton Mansion in it, and the Masons weren't sure it was haunted or not, so that they called us in to do that first investigation I think it was a long time ago. I can't remember. It's probably about at least 20 years ago. Um, do you remember what you found? Do we remember what we found? 
Yeah. It's it's strange. The 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 I mean the strongest uh energy there of course was the triangle between um Houghton, yeah. the chauffeur, and his daughter. Those that was yeah. the, the biggest, strongest triangle between mm-hmm. it. And of course I work I work with a trans medium who, you know, if I don't know if you know anything about trans mediums. They're the mm-hmm. ones that the spirit actually goes in their body. So Oh sure. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, uh yeah, that was it was it was an interesting night. And we ended up staying over that first night. We slept in the uh, uh, the hall, the Mason Hall. But I would, like I said, I, I used to do events there way back years ago. Uh, and then eventually the Masons started doing their own ghost hunts and stuff like that. And then mm-hmm. uh, somebody else bought it and they were doing ghost hunts in there. And I've been there you know, a few times since. And I noticed how the energy changed totally in that place from... From that mm. first investigation to when the last time I was there, it w- it was just total different energy. It was mm. the, the hall when we that first night was like the most peaceful spot in the um, mansion, the Mason's mm. Hall. It was actually so, so peaceful. It was it was like almost you were protected and walking in there versus the rest of the house, but. That all changed. The the hall became this and that, and it's it's just thing. I have to tell you a funny story though. Uh, we did that first investigation, and and Maureen, uh, as I mentioned, was a trans medium, but she she's always been a closet one. She, I kind of like brought her out of the closet, <laughs> but uh, she used to work with um, uh, do seances when she was a child for uh, not Laurie Cabot, but whatever uh, her, I don't know, whatever it was. But uh, and then she stopped doing them for a lot of reasons and said she'd never do them again. So that night I talked her into doing a seated communication by candlelight. <laughs> so that's what I called it. In other words, it was a seance. So we were in the in the uh, what's that drawing room? You know, with the pocket doors. Well, you'd never been there. I'm sorry. Right. Um, there was a room that that was uh, off to the kitchen on one side and it had pocket doors to the main hall on the other side. So we all went in. I had set up two cameras in there, and we we held this little uh, seance. And it, it was interesting because, like, the pocket doors were rattled. It started rattling. Mm. It's one point in the thing. Mm. One of the cameras shut off by itself. And then wow. uh, uh, Josh Mantel's father, Nick, was sitting there. And then right towards the end of the seance, there was, you know, some communication being made and everything else. And uh, all he says, he jumps up and says, my ass! And he, and he comes running out of the mansion. <laughs> he got touched and he went, he went paranoid. It was so funny. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. Yeah. There was Must another have taken him by surprise. <laughs> oh, it took him by surprise. Yeah, because that was like I said, they had no introduction to any yeah. paranormal group or whatever. And when that, especially, you know, seances and stuff like that. So that, yeah, he can run it. That was so fun. And the similar thing happened. Uh, uh, I, I was it Josh's wife or his sister. I can't remember though. But uh, we had set up a uh, motion detector on uh, one of the doors to, to the upper stairs. 
and she came out of the ladies' room and went off. She screamed and was wailing her hands over the thing, go running out of the house. She went right by us. We just looked at it. It's like, oh, that was interesting. <laughs> so the paranormal is not all serious. It can be fun. No. <laughs> Got to have some fun with it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Excuse me. That one's killing me. So uh, we are running out of time, and I did want to get into. <laughs> oh, excuse me. Yeah. But uh, you have. Uh, so, <clears throat> excuse me, some videos on uh, YouTube as well, right? On your site? Yeah, I have a channel on YouTube um, that where I have, and it's all accessible through my website, um, where I've done some short documentary video style videos about some of the Berkshire locations. And then uh, more recently, I've done some for the Ghostly Tales, which are really more me reading the story. Yeah, I see uh, a couple of good ones on there. The Ghost of the Green River you talked about. And uh, ghost boats of the oh, great, I'll never say that. Putin suck. Pontific Lake. Yeah, good. Glad easy yeah. for you to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that seems like uh, an interesting one as well. What's what's the gist of it? I won't make you go into the story, but it's an uh, old story. To... That that's actually the one I mentioned where there was there's this sort of suicide pact. Um, oh, and the, yeah. The story is is it's of the characters in it are Mohican. Um, the story, though, it's pr- I, I think the first written versions of the story came around in the 19th century. Um, and I see there's some old newspaper stories, uh, articles with the story in it. Um, but this is a story that's been told about Pontusic Lake for a long time, uh, where these two young lovers make a pact to stay together no matter what. And this jealous other man shoots one of the shoots the man and he dies but then he returns as a spirit on his boat and so the mm-hmm. woman drowns herself and also returns as a spirit and uh, they cross the boat the the lake together on their boats and that's that's what people say they can hear them out on the water calling out mm-hmm. their name and see them you know floating around it's one of those old sort of berkshire legends yeah now that now that i i hear it i think i i have heard of before uh the gist of it. but i mean there's so many cool ones of the who's satanic tunnel of course and yo yeah. coot is, is interesting now josh yo Antone, coot, yes. loves that one uh he's done some he did a presentation at spirit quest on the old coot one year mm. uh the hessian of Round, another great one you got to check this out i'll put this up on my uh facebook page so people can go and check it out uh you can listen to these little videos what do they run time-wise uh uh they vary but you know like uh, maybe somewhere between five and ten minutes generally yeah so definitely worth the watch you don't have to devote a lot of time but and you know what's amazing is all these smart tvs now they they have the youtube channel on it so you can actually go on these and watch it on your your tv which i find amazing it's it's fun i just can't stand myself on full tv but that's another story (laughs) (laughs) That's how we're doing uh, it these days, right? We're watching our YouTube channel. Everything's changing. Yeah. So anything uh, new coming up for you? Well, I do have, so I I put out the ghosts of Northwestern New Jersey last year, and I'm now working on the Northeastern New Jersey. So I plan to do the entire North Jersey uh, region, just one book at a time. So there's West, and then this year is East, or it should come out next year if I can get it done in time. Um, So I'm currently working on that. 
And there may be uh, a young reader's version of the Northwestern New Jersey book in the works, too, with Kate illustrating it, but I'm not 100% sure of that. Mm -hmm. um, I do have a, a workshop coming up at Arrowhead, um, which is the home of Herman Melville in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And I'll be mm -hmm. doing um, a writing workshop there. I'll be leading this workshop on writing ghost stories at Christmas time. Um, oh, cool. So to bring, yeah, so to bring in that old Victorian tradition of ghost stories at Christmas time uh, back. Excellent. Yeah. You know, I, so I came up with September a book. 2nd. I came up with that uh, as a book uh, proposal, and uh, my publisher shut it down. <laughs> really? Oh, we don't like call it. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately. That was years ago I did that. I, but uh, yeah. It was all stories about Christmas time, ghost stories about Christmas time. So uh, we unfortunately run out of time. And Robert, I want to thank you so much because, uh, as usual, I contact people at the last minute, and you were more than willing to help me, especially at this busy time. And I, and Happy I thank, thank you, you so much for that. Uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I certainly learned a lot. Go check out his website once again, Robert Oaks. And that's O A K E S. dot net. Hopefully I said that right. <laughs> I did. Yeah. Anyways, thank you, thank you, Roberts. Today's show yeah, is thank brought you. to you. Yep. Today's show is uh, brought to you by Circles of Wisdom, two eighty six Merrimack Street, Methuen, Massachusetts, and the Glant Messier Family Law Group, fifteen High Street, North Andover, Massachusetts, and our very good friends on Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. You too can become a member. And have access to, I don't know, it's over 50 exclusive videos only for our Patreon listeners and uh, other things as well, including Ghost Chronicles, the magazine. So there you go. So check it out. Ghost Chronicles Radio on Patreon. Uh, you've been listening to Ghost Chronicles right here on TojiNet. And good night, everyone. God bless. Have a great Halloween. And Robert, thank you once again so much for your help today. Oh, thank you. Have a great night. Happy Halloween. Yeah. to ghosties, long-leggedy beasties, and things that go bump in the night. Deliver us, good lord.